take this off. Um, if anybody needs, does anybody not have their sheet from last week? We're going to continue on with that. The page that I handed out tonight is just basically the second or the last little bit of that. Raise your hand if you need one of those. We have some extras, all right? If you have yours from last week, go ahead and pull that out. If you noticed, we only got through basically, uh, basically the front page. And we have, we have less tonight than we had last week, so we're not going to be terribly long tonight. But uh, drawing some conclusions and talking about some of the different um, mistakes, really, of those who believe and trust in the tongues movement. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to get there in just a minute. Let me get there. And we, we're talking, um, we made it to point number two. And point number two is common errors of the tongues movement. So what I'm doing with this and, and how we're going about this is kind of talking about some of the things that they believe and why the Bible is against that. And now, not every, uh, and I'm not trying to throw every person that, that believes in speaking in tongues in the same category because I know that there are some who would say, oh, we would never do that, you know, uh, people who believe in speaking in tongues or whatever else. And mostly it's the Pentecostal movement. The Pentecostal movement has been known as the tongues movement because that's really what sets them apart, for the most part, is speaking in tongues. Um, and we looked at the whole first point last week, but I'm going to briefly review just to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Letter A, this is, um, so let's see here. We are, we're actually still on the front page. So if you have the front page where it says speaking in tongues as a heading, this is page one and two, and then you flip it over, this is three and four, and then the one that I gave you now is five and six. So that's how we're going about that. But we're on the front page, the second, the second side of the front page. Uh, and one of the things that they say is that speaking in tongues is a primary evidence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they say that speaking in tongues is the primary way to prove the Holy Spirit's filling. Um, we said, number two, what the Bible actually teaches about those things. And we said in the book of Acts, there, there are many mentions of Christians being filled with the Spirit, but only one time we're speaking in tongues is mentioned. The second thing we looked at is a survey, and we, we, we took the time to go through those eight different passages in the book of Acts, but a survey of the book of Acts uh, shows things that are present when believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And only once did they actually talk about preaching in foreign languages, and it was very obvious that it was preaching in foreign languages, not speaking in the tongues that the tongues movement uh, talks about today. The third thing, letter C, is the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 does not mention tongues at all. The marks of spirit filling are spiritual relationships, worship, resisting Satan, and effective prayer life. Nowhere in Ephesians 5 and, chapter, 5 and 6 are we told that speaking in tongues is even an evidence, let alone a primary evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we ended that by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says that all have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But the same chapter in chapter uh, 12 verse 28 through 30 says that not everybody speaks in tongues. So how can it be a primary evidence of the Holy Spirit if you have those who are baptized by the Holy Spirit but are not speaking in tongues? So we move on to number two, letter B. Speaking in tongues is for every Christian. Now this is what they say. These are common errors, remember. So uh, they say that speaking in tongues is for every Christian. Every Christian, number one, is encouraged to speak in tongues in most Pentecostal groups. Um, but the pressure is there. The pressure to speak in tongues uh, varies from group to group, but it's definitely... It's definitely held up as something desirable, something important for the Christian life. Now, we, we looked at those videos last week, and the, the first lady who put the video on there in particular uh, was, was 
really proving this point. This is something great. This is something that I always wanted to do. This is something that, you know, basically I felt pressured that I needed to do. And it took me seven years before I was finally able to do it, but I finally got it. You know, the pressure is finally off of me because I'm finally speaking in tongues, right? And that's what we're saying. Speaking in tongues is for every Christian. That's what they say. So if you're a, a, a Christian that's not speaking in tongues, something's wrong with you. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But here's what the Bible actually says. Um, uh, and, and this is going on then to the second page or the backside. The New Testament differs, uh, says different gifts are given to different Christians. And no one gift is given to every believer. Pretty obvious. It's pretty plain, especially by 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but even by um, other passages in Acts and everything else and, and other places where it talks about the spiritual gifts. Uh, there are lots of different spiritual gifts, and nobody, not, not one spiritual gift is given to every single person. Some have the ability to teach. Some have the ability to preach. Some have the, 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 the gift of hospitality, the gift of you know, lots of different things, but no one spiritual gift is given to every Christian. So you can't say that the gift of tongues is given to every single Christian. Uh, Paul taught that plainly, that not every Christian spoke in tongues, even in the very first century, when this was going on, if you would. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at verse number 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And we come to verse 28. God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And you notice, and we mentioned this last week, that diversities of tongues is the very lowest on that list of spiritual gifts. And then he says, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Basically what he's saying is, don't covet these, these other gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecies, all those things. Covet the best gifts. In other words, we shouldn't even be coveting speaking in tongues. We shouldn't even be trying to speak in tongues. So speaking in tongues is not for every Christian. Here's the third thing that they say. Tongues should be sought by the Christian. That's about as plain as it can be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that there's not something that we should be seeking to do, but that's what they say. They say that there, there, you know, there are exceptions. There are exceptions to those who say that, but... Um, Many Pentecostal churches teach that the Christians should seek to speak in tongues. Uh, many books have been written trying to teach people how to speak in tongues. If you're writing a book on how to do it, then that means you're telling people that they should be doing it, right? Um, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail with that, but let's go right into what the Bible says. When Paul listed the best gifts that they should covet in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, which we just looked at, he listed speaking in tongues last. And I think it's strange that something the apostle considered so unimportant has risen to this primary position, risen to such an exalted spot in the Pentecostal movement. I don't know why they chose tongues. You know, why not prophecy or why not one of these other things? I don't know why they chose tongues. Obviously, it's the devil just getting in and trying to wreak havoc, you know. But this was the, the most unimportant of all the gifts, and they, they honed in on this thing, and this is what they settled on, and this is what they make a big deal about. You know, um, 
But let her be, the disciples did not seek to speak in tongues. Uh, in every instance in which they spoke in tongues, it was, it was sovereignly given. God gave them that ability, but they weren't seeking that ability. You saw exactly what happened the very first time that they spoke in tongues, right? What happened at Pentecost? They were surprised themselves. They were not saying, oh, we need to speak in tongues. Look at all these people here. They started preaching the gospel. And that's why it was such a unique thing. They were speaking in their own language, but aren't these Galileans? How are we hearing this in our own language? They weren't seeking to speak in tongues, and, the, and they never went back and tried to speak in tongues again. It happened in a couple different places, but they never sought to do those things. So here's the third thing. The Bible never tells the Christian to seek to speak in tongues. If God was so serious about us seeking these things, he tells us to seek a whole lot of other things. Right? If he was so serious about us seeking to speak in tongues, why doesn't he say that? Why doesn't he tell us, seek to speak in tongues? Thou shalt seek to speak in tongues, you know? Or at least even give us principles that give us the idea that we should be trying to do these things. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Here's the fourth thing about, about that. There is no instructions given on the Bible in, on how to speak in tongues. Now, there's, you know, if, you know, there, there are, um, if you're going to do it, here's the rules, but no Here's how you speak in tongues. This is the process. You start here, you go here, you do this, you do this, and the next thing you know, you're speaking in tongues. If it was such an important thing, and if this is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling in your life, and if you are supposed to, as a Christian, speak in tongues, don't you think God would have given us an explanation on how we're to go about doing that and how, as a Christian, we are to get to the point where we can speak in tongues? But nowhere in the Bible are we given that. Um, it was, if it was such an important thing for a Christian to do, then certainly there would be plain instructions on how to do it. There's a lot of videos on YouTube. This is how you speak in tongues, you know. Let me show you the process. There's no YouTube video in the Bible telling us how to speak in tongues, right? No process. Here's the fifth thing about that. The Pentecostal method of speaking in tongues is unscriptural and dangerous. They say, open your mouth and start muttering words, but, but it, you know, without using normal language. Christians cannot be possessed by evil spirits, um, but they can be influenced by them. And I think that's exactly what this is. That's one of those instances. Um, you look at Saul, just back and forth. Was Saul a Christian, you know? Uh, who knows? Who knows if he was or not? I tend to believe that Saul was a Christian who had just strayed so far from the Lord, uh, but an evil spirit tormented him, right? The Lord sent that evil spirit and allowed that to happen. And, I, you know, I, I don't know... I can't, say, I can't say that somebody who is speaking in tongues is possessed. I'm not saying that. Um, because I do think, like we talked about last week, especially the woman that was doing this thing, I think she was very sincere about those things. But there's a lot of people who are very sincerely wrong. I mean, look at these cult leaders and everything else. Look at the Mormons. I mean, they're very sincere about what they do. They're sincerely wrong. Just because they're sincere about it doesn't mean that, oh, well, you know, we can give them a pass. It's okay. No, they're wrong. They're wrong, and we ought to speak out against those things. They're sending people to hell. And, I, and I, I, can't, I don't know enough about the Pentecostal movement because I've never been involved in it myself to be able to say that they're sending people to hell, um, you know, and to say that they're not actually preaching the gospel. But when you add things to salvation, it's not salvation. Just the same way that if you take something away from it, it's not salvation, right? Just saying words in a prayer is not enough to get saved. And adding baptism or adding anything else to salvation is more than what you need to get saved, and it's, and it's not salvation. So they're adding this, speaking in tongues, to be able to prove that you're saved, and they don't really believe that they are until they've spoken in tongues. I don't know if they're saved or not. That's for the Lord to decide. But what I am saying is 
This is not something that's in the Bible, and it's not something that we should be doing. Speaking in tongues is not for every Christian. It should not be sought by the Christian. And here's the fourth thing, letter D. They say that tongues is a heavenly prayer language. Well, how can you argue with that? You know, when, when, when it's noted by an outsider that the tongues speaking is, is not a known earthly language, it's replied that they're speaking in a heavenly prayer language. In other words, when you say to them, well, that's just gibberish. That's not a, that's not a known earthly language. The Bible talks about tongues being a known earthly language. Well, I'm not speaking a known earthly language. I'm speaking a heavenly prayer language. I'm talking and God understands what I'm saying. Well, let's answer that from the Bible. What, what does the Bible say about that? Number one, letter A, uh, the tongues spoken in the early days of the church were real earthly languages. There's no such thing in the Bible as this being a heavenly language. I'm not going to take the time even to go back and read Acts 2, verse 6 through 11, because we've already talked about that. But verse 11 says, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So to say that tongues is a heavenly prayer language, well, that's not how it started. That's not what it was intended to be. Here's the second thing about that. Letter B, tongues speaking was a giving forth of mysteries. And by mysteries, I'm talking about things that were hidden in the Old Testament times, but were revealed in the New Testament. Oh, this, in fact, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. And this is one of the ways that they explain that they're using this as a heavenly language. Verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. It's not saying that he was speaking gibberish and nobody understood the gibberish. What they were saying is they didn't understand the mysteries of the gospel. They didn't understand the mysteries of the word of God, not the words that were coming out of their mouth. They've, they've completely mis, 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 misconstrued that to make it sound like they don't understand these, these words. We don't understand what they're saying. Well, if somebody gets up here and, and preaches in Russian, yeah. no one understands yeah. that when somebody speaks Russian, you're not understanding the Nobody understands what he's saying right. except God. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a, that's a way that you can explain it as well. But I think what this is talking about is this was something that was hidden in the Old Testament. And who's he talking to? Who's he preaching to? Preaching to the Jews, right? They didn't understand that. These mysteries that were hidden in the Old Testament have been revealed by Jesus Christ in the New Testament, but it's said over and over, these mysteries of the gospel, they didn't understand it. And, and I believe that that's what that's talking about. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. And, and I 100% and I agree with you that that's exactly what he's talking about as well. Um, God understands your language, even if nobody else understands your language. But it's not an unknown tongue. It's not a heavenly language that only God is understanding. It's not that at all. Tongue speaking was a giving forth of mysteries. Things that were hidden in the Old Testament but were revealed in the New Testament. Let us see. Speaking in tongues was not unintelligible muttering, but real languages heard by the people who were present to reveal the mystery of the gospel for the purpose of beginning the church. Amen. And God gave them that ability. Amen. Look, everybody that was there, that was one of Jesus' disciples, was all speaking the same language. Were they not? God confounded the languages at Babel. And I'm not saying that somebody could not have learned a different language and gone and taken that in, in another language. People do that as, as missionaries all the time. But you think about this. this is, think about how much longer the process would have been had there not been 3,000 people from all different tongues and all different nations and all different languages gathered there at Pentecost. 
Now you have, I mean, and, and we, we have that list that's given to us in 1 Corinthians, of, or, or no, I'm sorry, not 1 Corinthians, but in Acts chapter 2, of all the different people that were there, all the different people groups that were there. And now all those people are taking the gospel that they've received, that they've accepted, and taking it back to their people in their language. I mean, this is an explosion of people who now can hear the gospel because it was given to them in a real known earthly language in their own language where they could understand the mysteries of the gospel. There's a lot that's lost in translation, right? Uh, and even translations of the Bible that are, that are you know, put out in other languages sometimes don't necessarily have the same meaning because a lot is lost in translation, right? Um, you tell somebody in their language, go jump in a lake, and it doesn't make any sense to them, right? Well, go jump in a lake. Why would you do that, you know? Uh, that's colloquial expressions and things like that, and, and, and a lot of those things are lost in translation. It doesn't make any sense to them when you say that. Or if you translate something literally, something that makes sense to us makes absolutely no sense to somebody else when you translate it into their language. So a lot is lost in that way. Well, now you come to Pentecost, and here's a guy that's a Galilean that gets up and preaches, and you hear it in your own language. Well, you're going to hear it perfectly in your own language because God's the one that's doing the translation, Amen. right? And they're going to get the mysteries of the gospel. They're going to understand those things, and I believe that's why 3,000 people got saved that day. Because they understood the gospel perfectly because it was in their own language. And now they're able to take the gospel, go back to their own people, and spread that message. And now we have an explosion of the gospel spreading across the known world. That's why God did it. That's why God allowed them to speak in tongues. And that's the simple explanation. But then you, they, you know, the, the Pentecostal movement and these tongues movement and these groups take this and, oh, well, these are heavenly languages and everything else. They were not. They were just... They were not unintelligible muttering. They were known languages that were given so that the mysteries of the gospel could reveal, be revealed to these people who could then take the gospel back to their own people and the gospel could spread across the known world. Here's another problem, um, another thing that they say. This is number five. Tongues is for personal edification. Well, I'm not speaking in tongues in church. I'm not doing all these things. Tongues is for personal edification. I get alone with God and I speak in tongues and it's for personal edification. That's what they say. Tongues is something that can be done privately for a Christian to edify himself. Now let's look at what the Bible has to say about that then. The Bible clearly says, uh, letter A, that the purpose of tongues was to give a sign to the nation of Israel regarding the fact that God was doing this new thing and starting the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe. How about that for clarity? For clarity, <laughs> Tongues are not for people who believe. Tongues are for to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Paul says clearly, this is letter B, that tongues was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. You want to know what Isaiah 11, uh, 28, 11 and 12 says? For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is refreshing, yet they would not hear. This was given to people who were not saved, and many of them still rejected the gospel. So th the fact that you can say tongues is for personal edification, it's not for Christians. For the unsaved to be able to hear the gospel and understand the mysteries of the gospel clearly. So to say that this is for edification, which... By the way, and we're going to draw some conclusions here, but how can you say that it's for edification when you have no idea what you're saying? Right. 
how are you being edified if you don't even know what you're saying in the process, right? They, and they clearly say that. I don't have no idea what I'm saying when I, when I go into speaking tongues, but God knows. God knows my heart. And he knows what I mean. What do you mean? God can't understand English? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is God, is God so dumb that he can't understand the language that you're praying to him in, that you have to speak in a heavenly prayer language and be edified in a way that you have no idea what you're even saying when you're speaking this gibberish? If you really stop and think about it, it doesn't even make any logical sense, let alone spiritual sense from the Word of God. So let's draw some conclusions then. These are, um, this is the, the new sheet that I just handed out to you. And we're going to move through these things fairly quickly because we've already talked about a lot of these things, but this is just kind of bringing everything together. Number one, or capital letter A, tongues at Pentecost were a miraculous but incidental convenience to preaching the gospel and getting those 3,000 people saved. Tongues at Pentecost were a miraculous but incidental, meaning it was a miracle, the fact that they spoke in tongues, but it was one thing that happened. It was an incident. It was one thing that happened to be able to spread the message of the gospel to those 3,000 people. And I just explained that. Those people were then able to take the gospel back to their people and spread the message of the gospel in their own language. Don't you think it's strange that it doesn't say anything about those people going back and speaking in tongues? Because they didn't need to. They were going back to their own people, and they were speaking in their own language, and those people understood it in their own language, and that's all they needed. Letter B, God does things for a very sensible reason, and for a very clear reason at Pentecost. He wanted them to win souls, and he used sensible things to do it. Now, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, if it doesn't have any sense to it, God isn't in it. Amen. And it's true. You know, babbling on in a language that nobody can understand is not sensible, and it's dishonest, at the very least, to pretend that it's the same power that the mighty men had at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and fell on them. Babbling on in another language is not the power of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't have any sense to it, the Holy Spirit's not in it. And that's a great statement because that's exactly what it is. If you don't even know what you're saying, if you have no idea what's going on, then how is, that, how is the Holy Spirit in it? The Bible very clearly says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Let us see. Those at Pentecost may not have known what they were speaking, but they were speaking languages that those who were listening understood. It was not gibberish that could not be interpreted, and it was not a heavenly language. I, I don't know how else we can say that. It's just a known earthly language. It was a language that was known to somebody. Now, they didn't know what they were saying, but they, they were not just speaking gibberish. It was actually a language. And here's the other thing. I, I wonder... And the Bible's not really clear on this, but I started thinking about this. How, how did Peter, as he got up there and preached, preach in 15 different languages all at the same time? I think that what happened at Pentecost is that pre uh, Peter heard himself preaching in his own language. The people understood it in their own language. So it's not even that Peter was getting up and speaking gibberish. Right. He, what is he going to do, preach the message 15 times in 15 different languages? No, they heard it in their own language. And that's the miracle of speaking in tongues. It was not that Peter was up there speaking gibberish at all. He was not up there speaking something that he didn't understand. Look, there were still Jews there. There were still people there who understood the language that Peter was talking. So Peter, I believe, is, is just like I'm speaking. I understand everything that I'm saying. But let's say that you only understood Spanish or you only understood Russian. And you're hearing it in your own language. I'm speaking it and hearing it in my own language. Right. So I don't believe there was gibberish going on at all. Amen. 
I believe he was speaking in a language that he understood, and those people were saying, how are we hearing this in our own language? That's the miracle of it. That's what the miracle was, not the gibberish. And it certainly was not some heavenly language that nobody understood what was being said. So they understood because it was a known language. Letter D, God had a specific reason for them speaking in tongues so they could hear and be saved. Today's tongues are not aimed at edification. They're not aimed at salvation or anything else but to prove that they can do it. So let's just even say that tongues is something that is outlined in the Bible and that it's okay to speak in tongues today. They're missing the whole point of why you're even speaking in tongues in the first place. The whole point of speaking in tongues is for those to hear and get saved and for the edification of the saints. Their whole purpose is completely off from that. Their whole purpose is to just prove that we can speak in tongues. Just to do it. Who's being edified by it? Nobody, because they don't even know what you're saying. Who's being saved by it? Nobody, because they don't even know what you're saying. Right? So they're missing the whole point. If we're just, let's just take the premise and say that it is okay to speak in tongues and that they're doing something that is espoused by the Bible. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and that makes it wrong on top of everything else that's wrong about it. Here's letter E. There were other incidental miracles at Pentecost. Look, there was a mighty rushing wind. There were cloven tongues of fire. There was an earthquake. And tongues. All were not promised. All were never commanded. And all never happened again. The plain truth is that there was a reason for all of these things then. And if God ever has a reason for it again, he'll repeat it. God can send a mighty rushing wind. God can send cloven tongues of fire. God could send speaking in tongues again if he wanted to. But none of those things were sought. None of those things were commanded. And none of those things were ever reproduced. None of, the things, none of those things ever happened again. Right? They were not out there, oh, man, you remember what happened at Pentecost? That mighty rushing wind, we need that again. Let's, let's go seek it, you know? Let's go get those cloven tongues of fire. We never see them seeking these things. Because it was something that God just sent. And they understood it as something that God just sent. And tongues was a part of that thing. He didn't promise it. It's not commanded. And we're not to seek that. That's number two. He didn't promise it. It's not commanded. And we're not to seek those things. Then letter F. There's not one command in all the Bible to speak in tongues. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to do that. It was allowed. It happened. But it were not commanded. We're not told that we should be doing it. Not only, number one, is there no command, there is no evidence that speaking in tongues is an initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are, these are conclusions. We've already talked about those things, so we're not going to do them again. We looked at the verses. And, and if you want to go back and, and, and kind of sum all these things up, Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 gives you basically everything you need to know about tongues. And if you just look at those three chapters... It's pretty obvious that speaking in tongues was not what they mean speaking in tongues is today. There's no evidence that speaking in tongues is a primary evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of other things that, that are given that show that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but nowhere does it even say that speaking in tongues is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled them, and they spoke in tongues, but that's not a primary evidence of being filled. Number two, the command is to be filled with the Spirit, but not to seek to speak in tongues. So instead of seeking to speak in tongues, like most of them are doing, we should be seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. The priority is wrong. The, the emphasis is wrong. It should not be on seeking to speak in tongues. It should be seeking on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you this, 
If you're really seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit fills you, he'll make it pretty obvious that speaking in tongues is not for you, right? And then you'll realize that you were seeking the right thing because now you're filled with the Holy Spirit and he can use you. And he's not going to do it through speaking in tongues. Number three, why not seek God's power as he commands instead of tongues, which he never commands? We're told to seek God's power. We're told to seek holiness. We're told to seek those things that bring about God's power. We're not told to seek to speak in tongues. Again, the, evidence, the, the emphasis is wrong. Letter G, it's okay for people of different culture levels and different languages to take part in a church service as in a testimony, but only if there's someone there to interpret and only two or three at a time so the emphasis stays where it belongs. And again, I think this is exactly what the Bible is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 when it's given us the, the rules for speaking in tongues. Brother John mentioned, if somebody gets up and starts speaking in Russian, well, he understands what he's saying, but nobody else does. And obviously God knows what he's saying, but nobody else does, and so nobody's edified by it. But if we have somebody who speaks Russian and English, and they can get up and they can translate what this guy's saying, which is why it's okay for us to go to Romania and, and preach in a Romanian church where they don't understand English at all, but somebody can interpret and give them what I'm saying, and that's perfectly fine. Amen. It's for the purpose of edification. What good does it do me to go to Romania and preach a whole message in English if nobody understands what I'm saying? And that's what he's talking about. That's, that's all he's talking about is known languages. And these rules are so that things are done decently in order. The purpose of tongues is for the edification of the saints and for helping people understand the mysteries of the gospel. If nobody can understand me, then what's the point? And that's exactly what the Bible says over and over and over and over again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, this is the last statement here, 14 verse 19, I would rather speak five words that can be understood than 10,000 words that cannot be understood. If that is not the exact opposite of what's happening in the modern tongues movement today. 10,000 words that nobody can understand, even the person talking. They have no idea what they're saying because it's nothing. It's gibberish. Oh, it's a heavenly language. I'm communing with God. No, it's not. It's gibberish. No matter how you look at it, it's gibberish. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Playing the piano is supposed to have a certain tune. Playing the trumpet is supposed to give a certain tone. And speaking in tongues is merely speaking in a different language to edify the saints because God wants things to be done decently and in order, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 40. That's what it all comes down to. Speaking in tongues is just known earthly languages. And I'm not saying that, that anybody did anything wrong, but if that word languages had been put in the place of tongues, I don't think there would be any of the emphasis on it today, speaking in languages. But that's exactly what tongues is talking about. I think the emphasis would be way off of it if it said speaking in languages, because that's, a, that's just speaking in languages, speaking in known languages. But you say tongues, and it can mean anything you want it to mean. Yeah? Yeah, I believe that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Two things. One, the gift of speaking in tongues was the ability not to have to study to learn it. Yeah. You could get up preaching and understood. Yeah, yeah. One, and then two, um, tongues in Romania means language. Oh, I remember somebody saying, maybe you said that before, but yeah. It, it, in the, in the yeah. Romania, 
The Romanian Bible translates that word languages. Right. Is Pentecostalism probably not even very big in Romania, is it? Or is it? Is it? Well, it's like Brother Bill and Miss Diana both got, got saved in a Pentecostal church, right? And realized the, the error of the, the speaking in tongues and all that stuff and came out of that stuff, but they, they got saved and they know they were saved. And so that's what I'm, not, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that all the Pentecostals are, you know, demon-possessed and all this stuff. It's, it's taken it way too far to say that. Um, but I think they're, they're leading a lot of people in the wrong direction, at the very least, after they get saved, and at the very most, keeping them from getting saved because they're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. So, yep. Anything else? Any other comments or questions or anything? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at this video of this lady, you know. Yeah, it does. It does. Look at the video of the churches that were doing those things, too. All emotions. Right? I mean, what gets somebody to the place where they're doing all this kind of stuff? Look like one of those uh, little uh, stick figures that they put the, you know, out at the edge of the road doing all this kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> That's what they look like. I mean, seriously. And, and how is the Holy Spirit in that, you know? It's not decent and in order. And, if you, and, I, and I should have pointed this out maybe when it was going on, but if you notice the, the drums in the background, I mean, it was not just like a, you know, a beat. It was just, I mean, somebody just cranking on drums and cymbals and, you know, just, just noise, right? It's like um, what happened when Moses was on the mountain and Aaron was down in the valley, you know, making this golden calf and they were dancing. He said, sounds like war. It's exactly what it is, you know. It's not decent and in order. It's not a beautiful sound. It's, not, it's, it's all emotionalism. It's all hyped up to try to get people worked up. And if you can work them into this frenzy, look, that's, that's what a lot of the demonic... Um, Ceremonies are and stuff like that. Concerts too. Concerts. Yeah. And, and that well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Going in there Yeah. Well, and that's one of the problems with the contemporary Christian music movement too. It's the exact same emotionalism. It's working people up into a frenzy, and if you Go onto YouTube. All right, here's a perfect, perfect, perfect thing for you to do, and I don't want you to get sidetracked by that, but, but go to Hillsong. Hillsong is like the number one leading contemporary Christian music. And listen, or, or not listen, not listen, watch one of their songs. Almost every single one. Number one, the whole thing is set up to look exactly like some rock concert. But number two, almost every one of their songs starts off really slow, builds, 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 and then drops off. And then it builds one more time to the end, and then it drops off. And the songs are like 12 minutes long. But you see it, and every one of them does that. And by the middle of the song, everybody's saying the same phrase over and over and over, but they're all jumping around and doing all of this kind of stuff. And, I mean, you would not be able to tell the difference between that and any other secular concert. Okay, yeah.
<laughs> so she was speaking in a known language. There you go. No. Good. Anything else? All right. Let's pray, and then we'll be done. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the truths of the Word of God. And God, we're not out here trying to condemn those who are trying to do what's right, but, but there are errors out there that we need to be aware of and that we need to know why we don't believe those things. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us as we uh, continue to study through these different things, that the Holy Spirit would give us uh, the discernment that we need to know what's right, to know what's wrong, and to stay away from the things that are wrong and to embrace the things that are right. And God, I pray that you'd use us to, to help us to win people to Jesus Christ. That's our goal, that's our job, that's our primary motivation for living here on this earth is to win people for you. So I pray that you'd help us to be good at it. Help us to do the best of our ability to win souls. Pray that you'd help each one of us. We all have lists of people that we're trying to reach this year. God, I pray that you'd give us more souls. I thank you for Miss Diana's sister getting saved. What a tremendous blessing that is. God, I pray that you'd add many, many more to that and that we'd continue to do exactly what you want us to do in our lives. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.